0: This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. The title of our sermon series in Nehemiah is For the City. Nehemiah had a burden and a passion for the city of Jerusalem. And what we found out in the first seven chapters of the book of nehemiah is that he really had a passion for building the physical city the walls the gates the doors he wanted the city to be back to where it needed to be uh, physically tangibly but we found out in these last uh, few chapters in the chapters remaining in the book of nehemiah that nehemiah's love for the city went further than just the building structure but it was for the people of the city Um, And can I say that's my heart this morning? As uh, some of you bought last week, you bought some of our new Bull City shirts, and uh, my heart in those is that anybody that comes across us when we're wearing those in public um, understands that we made those T-shirts because we love our city. Um, You know, anybody can make a church T-shirt that screams like "I go to church here." You know, Uh, we wanted to make a T-shirt. Uh, Christy, that somebody says at lunch today, says, oh, that's a really cool t-shirt. Where'd you get that from? You know, actually, my church makes these. As you turn around, anyway. Uh, but turn around, I got the... But that's why, because we want to show that we're here for our city, our love for our city. And Nehemiah shows that, not only, as I said, for the physical uh, building of the walls and, the, and rebuilding of the city, but the rebuilding of the people of the city. The sermon title for today is The Vicious Cycle. We're going to be back in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to take a little bit of a deeper look into Nehemiah chapter 9. Last week we talked about revival and what it looks like. And man, I don't know about you, I needed that sermon last week. But revival looks a lot like repentance. Revival looks a lot like a thirst for God's word. Revival looks a whole lot like experiencing God's grace in a brand new way. But we're going to go back into this chapter and we're going to highlight some things and look at some a cycle that is presented here that I believe you'll recognize. But the history of the children of Israel is very well documented throughout the pages of the Old Testament. In fact, the majority of the Old Testament is documenting just that the history of the children of Israel, the Israelites. And in the Old Testament, if you've read much of it at all, you've seen the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay? There's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad. And if you really read the Old Testament, there's a lot of ugly up in there, too. All right? There's a lot. In fact, some things in the Old Testament are straight up awkward to read, um, especially if you're like reading to your family and like your kids ask questions. And it's like, oh, don't ask questions about that. And um, but the Old Testament just it just it talks very bluntly about the children of Israel. Hundreds of years, uh, uh, thousands of years, even of history are recorded in books such as Exodus and Leviticus and and First and Second Samuel and others. And as we took the time last week to highlight what is going on at this time is that the people are experiencing somewhat of a revival in their spirit. They had worked so hard 52 days building the walls and they're now experiencing a revival in their hearts spiritually. They've listened to the word being preached for hours. In chapter 9 it said for six hours they listened to God's word being read. They've repented of their sin. They've worshipped Jesus together. And they've experienced the graciousness of God. And we spoke about it last week and what true revival looks, at, looks like. But today I want to bring to our attention from this same chapter the vicious cycle that the Israelites continue to find themselves in. And I must say the reason I'm preaching the sermon is because I believe that you and I find ourselves in this same cycle so often. So we're going to look at what it means, and then we're going to observe some ways to possibly and and hopefully stop this cycle from continuing in our lives. Can we pray together to start, and then we're going to jump right in and explain what we mean this morning. Heavenly Father, speak through your word, apply it to our lives. God, they didn't come here today, God, to hear me talk. God, they didn't come here today to hear my opinion on something. God, I I pray today that they came to hear from your word. And God, remove me from the equation. Remove anything that I would say that would possibly take away from your word and the truths contained therein. And God, I pray that we would identify this vicious cycle and that, God, we would stop the cycle we would, following your word and the theology of of scripture, and we would see this cycle come to a close or at the very least slowed down in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The cycle, the vicious cycle this morning. The vicious cycle is this. God is good to his people. Amen. God is good. His people turn their backs on him and sin. And then God shows mercy to his people. You say, Josh, explain the Old Testament to me. All right, let me do it for you. You ready? God is good to his people. His people turn their backs on him and sin. And God shows mercy to those people. That is the vicious cycle that is the history of the children of Israel that is I fear a reality in my life I fear and I say that I fear that my life is simply a cycle of God is so good to me but I turn my back on him and sin and God shows me mercy And he's so good to me. And I turn my back on him and sin. And God shows me mercy. And he's so good to me. And it goes on and on and on and on. I don't know if that resonates with you. I don't know if you, like me sometimes, say, I just can't kick this. God, there's sin in my life. There's things that I know I'm doing and saying and thinking that I ought not be thinking and God, you show me mercy, and you're so good to me, but I keep on going back, and I keep on going down this same road, and I feel like I'm in a dryer, and I'm that one undershirt in there, and I'm just dunk, 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 and if I were a tennis shoe, I would make so much noise and annoy everybody around me, spiritually. Let's look at scripture this morning and let's see what scripture tells us about this vicious cycle. You see, in this passage that we read part of last week, we know that the people got together and this was part of their their cry out to God. Verses 5 and 6, they worshipped him, they blessed him, they praised him, they glorified him. And I mean, man, thou art the Lord. We talked about it last week. But they continue in verse 7, and that's where we'll pick up. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, an amazing miracle, the parting of the Red Sea. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. God is good To his people. Amen? God is good to his people. Unless we think any differently this morning. They just went on a eight or nine verse tangent right there and highlighted how good God was to his people. And he is good to his people. But, verse 16... But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. His people turned their backs on him. In sin. God is miraculously good. His people turn their backs on him. In sin. Finish verse 17. But you are God. Ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Abundant in kindness. And did not forsake them. God shows mercy to his people. God shows mercy to his people. Back up in verse 13 and, verses 13 and 14, we see highlighted and we're going to pick back up that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. He gave those commandments to the children of Israel to help them navigate life, to give them a structure of what was right and what was wrong. God was incredibly good to his people. And giving them those. God is good to his people. Verse 18: even when they made a molten molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt, and they were great provocations. His people turned their back on him and sin. We're, we're highlighting the cycle. Stay with me this morning. We're highlighting the cycle. His people turned their backs on him and sin and in this instance, they literally created a, an image of gold and worshipped that image of gold instead of worshipping the one true Jehovah God. Yet in your manifold mercies, verse 19, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way they should go. God shows mercy and keeps his presence with his people. God shows them incredible, incredible mercy. You also gave, verse 20, your good spirit to instruct them. Are you following along? Follow along in your Bibles. God, you gave, also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. And gave them water for their thirst. Verse 21, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Verse 22, Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, and the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, just as you promised Abraham. And brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people, they went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. And gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods. Cisterns already dug, vineyards olive groves, fruit trees in abundance, so they ate and were filled, and even grew fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. God is good to his people. We see it over and over and over again, but you guessed it. Let's keep reading. I'm sorry. There's a lot of Bible this morning. Some of y'all might not be used to it. It's okay. A lot of Bible in a sermon at church. It's all good. All right. Let's keep reading. All right. Verse 26. Nevertheless. Remember, verse 25 ended. That they delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. His people turned their back on him in sin. Say, Joshua, I get the point. All right, we're almost done then. We're almost done with this part. I want you to see the cycle. The cycle is, out, is outlined obviously through these verses. Look at verse 27. In the time of their trouble, finishing verse 27, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hands, hand of their enemies. God shows mercy to his people. This is a short one. You ready? But after they had rest, that's this afternoon. All right. After they had rest, God is good to his people. How many of you could use some rest? Raise your hand. Don't lie in church. All right. You could use some rest. Some of y'all new parents back there, Sam and Rainey, could y'all use some rest? All right, good. Guy Rainey, say amen in church back there. That's good. But after they had rest, because you know why? God is good to his people. Continuing in verse 28. "They They again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. This is when the children of Israel were taken into captivity. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. Many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them, that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments. Which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. This one's even, the people turn their backs on him in sin, even though he keeps on trying to give them mercy. They just won't take it. Like, he's trying in these verses. And they're still turning their backs in sin. Verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, Nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. God shows mercy to his people. You want a verse to take from a sermon? You want a verse to think about and meditate on throughout the week? Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Even if we just memorize that last phrase, can we say it together? For you are God, gracious and merciful. Let's say it together, you ready? For you are God, gracious and merciful. One more time. For you are God, gracious and merciful. The cycle's plain as day in the text it's very obvious the cycle and by the way this text that we read spans thousands of years this text that we read gives the history God is good his people rebel and God shows mercy can I ask you to be honest with me this morning anybody else other than just me Can you identify with this cycle a little bit in your life? Raise your hand if you can. It's okay. It's not the invitation yet. Ain't nobody going to judge you. (laughs) Anybody want to tell us about it? I'm just kidding. I won't make you do that. I, I, I identify with this. I identify with it. There have been seasons of my life where I continually see myself in this cycle. Boom, 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 boom. The struggle is not uncommon by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, you don't have to turn there, it's going to be on the screen. But Paul addresses this same struggle in Romans in chapter 7. Verse 15 says For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find my will. I want to do it, but I just can't figure out how to. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Can I paraphrase? How many of you agree that might be confusing, that passage? Right, raise your hand, it's okay. Don't lie in church. All right, cool. Carlos, thank you. Um, Here's what Paul's saying. You ready? This is the JCV. You ready? Paul says, I'm trying to do what's right, and I keep doing wrong. And every time I try to stop doing wrong, I don't do it. And it's like, I can't stop. I want to do what's right, and I keep doing wrong. Now, I really want to do what's right, but for some reason, I keep doing wrong. We got any Pauls in here? I'm I'm with you. It's like, God, I want to do what's right. God, I want this and I, I, want, I want you working in my life. I want a beautiful, perfect relationship with you. God, I want to, to, to discard these sinful uh, areas of my life. and I want this, God. And I really do, but and I just keep turning back. And I keep being sucked in by my flesh. So Paul says, I want to do what's right, but it seems like I can't stop doing wrong. But God is good to his people, and his people turn their backs on him in sin, and God shows mercy to his people. But what if I told you this morning that I believe that this cycle doesn't have to dominate your life? I am fully convinced that this cycle does not have to take root and completely control your life. What if I told you this morning that there was a way to either break this cycle or at the very least throw a wrench in the middle of this cycle? What if I told you that Jesus died on the cross for many reasons? But one of the reasons that Jesus died was to give you His Holy Spirit in order to overcome the power of sin. In your life, Jesus died for many reasons. Many reasons. The longer that you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, the more you read His Word and study His Word, the more the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you begin to understand that Jesus died, and that single act of history is so multi layered. It will take us to eternity to try to grasp everything that the gospel means and what calvary means but salvation is a three-part working in our lives stay with me this is getting teachy but it's going to get preachy i promise all right salvation is a three-part working in our lives and i'm going somewhere stay with me it's justification it is sanctification and it is glorification that is salvation those are some Asians. Alright, that you might not know what they mean. We're going to talk about them for just a second. You might not know what all these Asians mean. Um, but this is the work of salvation being performed in your life. Let's look at it. justification. I have been saved. The day that you repented of your sins, and by the way, I'm old school. I still believe that there's a time when you come to a point in your life where you say that I'm in need of a Savior and on my own I will... I will split hell wide open because of my sin and I need a savior. I repent of my sin and I turn to Jesus and I trust in Jesus 110% for my salvation. None of me and all of him. I repent and I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe there ought to be a time and a place in your life when that has taken place. And if that has not taken place in your life, then today is the day of salvation. That is when justification happens. At that point when you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, you have... Been saved how many of this morning you're glad that you've been justified and you have been saved. I know I am And let me just say this this morning, if you're here and you don't know that, there's never been a time or a place that you've come to grips with the fact that you're a sinner and that you deserve hell and that if you go, if you die today, you're going to split hell wide open, but that Jesus made a way of escape and he wants to be your personal, real Savior. If you've never had that time in your life, today would be the day you're among friends. Listen. If anybody in this audience today got that right at the end of the service, we would all rejoice and stand and clap and praise the Lord with you. I don't care if it's—I don't care if you hold a leadership position here. I—I I know pastors' wives that get saved. I, I think I'm married. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I don't say that. I'm—I'm I'm messing. I'm messing. I gotta have a godly wife. But I, I've known ministry workers. I've known youth pastors. How many of you think most youth pastors probably still do need to get saved? I, I'm. My personal opinion, just my opinion back there. You're not going to announcements today, are you? (laughs) Don't give Jeff the mic. But uh, I'm thankful for justification. I have been saved. But there's there's a process that takes place. And it's also a part of your salvation. It's called sanctification. From the day that you trust Christ, this process begins. I call it, I am being saved. I'm in the process of being saved. I have been saved. I am in the process of being saved. And then from the time that I was justified, I am being sanctified up until the time that I will be glorified. Glorification means that I will be saved. And that is the time we leave this earth and we experience heaven. Perfection with Jesus. So from the time I trust Christ until the time I'm glorified, there's this sanctification stage. It's the most difficult. It's the the one that is not so easy to navigate. It's the one that's not even very easy to articulate from a speaker's point of view. Can I try to explain it to you a little bit more? Is that okay? I know it's teachy, guys. I'm sorry. I know we're used to like junior church sermons. I'm just kidding. But we got to get a little deep. You ready? Everybody ready? All right, here we go. Let's look at the next one. Justification. I... Have victory over the penalty of sin. Listen, when you got saved, the moment you trusted Jesus, you repented of your sins, and you believed the gospel, you received victory of the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? For the wages of sin is death. You you were given victory over the penalty of sin. Hey, listen, death no longer has a hold on you. When you leave this earth physically, you're immediately in the presence of God. To be absent with, from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we have victory because of our salvation over the power, I'm sorry, over the penalty of sin. But how many of you understand, just because you got saved however many years ago, sin didn't go nowhere. In fact, sin's still hanging around. Sin really... Likes to play tricks. So sanctification is that process of having the victory over the power of sin. Sanctification is I have victory over the power of sin. And understand this, sanctification is a process. Sanctification is a time period. Sanctification lasts from when you got saved until the day you die. But what sanctification, and by the way, glorification, praise the Lord, let's focus on that for just a second, I will have victory of the presence of sin. One day when I leave this earth and I'm together in heaven with Jesus Christ, there will be no more sin, there will be no more death, there will be no more, there will be no more, more temptation. Glor- when we're glorified, man, the presence of sin will be removed. Praise the Lord. But we're, we're stuck in that sanctification. We're stuck in that second tier right now if you're still alive and you're a believer. And that process that we're going through is gaining the victory over the power of sin. Gaining victory in our lives over the power of sin. You see, when we became believers... When we trusted in Jesus, we were given the righteousness of God in Jesus. We were given his righteousness. And so, this cycle, this vicious cycle that we are highlighting in Nehemiah chapter 9, this vicious cycle continues to work in our lives, but we are sanctified. And we are progressively being sanctified and gaining the victory over the power of sin. So this cycle will really mess with our life that we're living as a sanctified Christian. Let's look at scripture, some more scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. What does the scripture tell us to do? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13: No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In fact, I believe in our connect groups this week, we touched on this, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are, what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the, make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We usually stop there and praise the Lord. Can we, man, praise God. He gives us a way to escape temptation. He does. And his way is through him, through the Holy Spirit, through his power. But look what he tells us to do in verse 14. Therefore, because of what I just said, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You say, how are we going to break this vicious cycle of God is good to me and I fall into sin? How are we going to break that cycle? Hey, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this. Hey, listen, there's no temptation that's overtaken you. Except it's common to man. Other people have been tempted the same way. God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted by more than what you're able. He's going to give you a way to escape. And you're going to be able to bear the temptation. So here's what I'm telling you to do. Flee idolatry. Resist the temptation. I hope we caught that. By the way, Paul was speaking to a church in Corinth that was riddled with sin. Paul was speaking to a church in Corinth that he was addressing incest as sin. Paul was speaking to a church in Corinth that had sin interwoven throughout their entire church, and and, and Paul was calling them to repentance and discipline. But let me just say this, if Paul will tell the Christians at the church of Corinth that, hey, God has made a way to escape the temptation and that you can bear that temptation, so flee. Flee. So flee from it. Flee from idolatry. Paul says, you have the power to say no to sin. Therefore, say no to sin. I wish it was more complicated than that. I wish that what I just brought you would blow your mind even more. But it's pretty simple. Paul says, the day you were saved, you were given the power over temptation to sin. So stop sinning. You've got the power, sing it, All right. you've got the power <laughs> over temptation of sin. Now stop, stop. You say, Josh, that's, that sounds a little, more, a little easier said than done. You're right, completely agree, agree to that. But if we will begin resting in verses, like 1 Corinthians 10, verses 13 through 14, when we come under attack and we are tempted, if we will pull verses like that out and we will read those verses, and we'll come to the realization that I don't have to give in to this temptation. I don't have to. I'm a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I don't have to. Listen, when that cycle... Begins to move in my life God is good to me And I'm tempted to sin And I'm tempted to start that cycle up I don't have to I don't have to You say Josh are you teaching me This morning that I I won't ever sin Absolutely not I'm teaching you that you have been given the power To say no to sin Every time I am teaching you that You have the power To say no to sin every time. And New Testament Christians, we have been saved through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been born again. Literally, our old nature has been crucified. Our new nature has been resurrected in Jesus Christ. We have been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have been given grace Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Romans 5 verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And New Testament Christians this morning, we have received the grace of God. We are being sanctified. We are being given the victory over the power of sin. We are, we, are, we are being given the victory over this vicious cycle. And you say, Josh, about that not sinning thing. Oh, that's coming one day. When we're glorified, we will be removed from the presence of sin. That's coming. But we have been given the victory to break this cycle. To break this cycle. I am merely saying, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By the way, a lot of people that don't understand grace and they don't like the word grace and they get a little uncomfortable around the word grace they accuse us of being this do you believe you can just do whatever you want and just say i'm living in grace i, I don't i've heard that specifically you 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 guys just you believe you can just do whatever you want to certainly not verse 2 how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it Hey, that cycle. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul says... We should not live in sin, but just as baptism explained, we have been crucified, buried, and risen with Christ, and we should walk in a new life. Can I say it this way this morning? Grace is not our license to sin. Grace removes sin's license in our lives. Maybe a little bit of an adjustment that may help it. Grace is not our license to sin. Grace frees us from sin's license in our lives. So what breaks the cycle? God is good to his people. His people turn their backs on him in sin. God shows mercy to his people. What breaks the cycle? The fact is this. Grace breaks the cycle. The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks the cycle. Jesus breaks the cycle. You can have victory over the power of sin in your life. By understanding that you're in the process of sanctification and that by yielding to the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 13 and 14, there is no temptation that's overtaken you that you cannot bear through the Holy Spirit. So flee. I'm here to encourage you this morning. I'm not here to try to put an impossible task in front of you. I'm here to be your cheerleader, to be your male cheerleader this morning. That's why I'm here. I'm here to be your cheerleader and to say that you have been given the power to say no to temptation. So please, say no to temptation. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to encourage you that that the power is not yours. The power is the Holy Spirit's. The power comes straight from, from God Almighty. But you, believer, have been given the power in your life to say no to sin. And I pray and I hope and I beg God that you would say no and break that vicious cycle that the children of Israel spent thousands of years in. Thousands of years. So, Josh, what happens, though, when I do that? I'm tempted. I know I'm being tempted to sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I claim 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. I claim those verses. And by the power of Jesus, I say no to sin. Praise the Lord. And then tomorrow comes, and you do it again. Man, I said, no, God tempted me. God, uh, the devil tempted me, and God made a way of escape. And man, there's no temptation, but such is common to man. And God gave me that way of escape, and I took that way of escape. And man, praise the Lord. But then the third day hits. What happens when I have a Romans 7 moment, a Paul moment? I want to do us right, and I can't stop doing wrong. We'll get to those moments because there's still sin present. We're not glorified. We're not in heaven. What, what, what happens when I go back and revert to my sin? I thank God for this. God shows mercy to his people. You see, the cycle, while it's bad... It's really only one-third bad. You see, there's still God shows mercy to His people, and God is so kind to His people. You say, Josh, I feel like a failure. Josh, this morning I feel spiritually as, as a failure. I, I feel like I give in, and I give in, and I give in, and I give in. Listen, as the psalm says, His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new Every morning, his mercies are new tomorrow morning and Wednesday morning and Friday morning and Saturday morning. Every morning, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I've got to be real with you this morning. I get sick and tired of giving in to my flesh. I hate it. I get sick and tired of committing that sin again. I get sick and tired of responding in that way again. And as I study and as we look back on the children of Israel and then as we looked into the New Testament for what we find as the remedy... The only thing I can tell you is to repent and to rejoice this morning. Repent of your sin and vow to claim 1 Corinthians 10:13 and 14. Make those your verses. But then rejoice. Because Christian You have the victory. You have the victory. No temptation has overtaken you. Except such as is common to man. You're not alone. You're not alone. I promise you. There's no temptation that's overtaken you. Except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. It's not depending on your faithfulness. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what what you are able. God will not allow anything to come in your life that you cannot say no to. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved... Flee from sin, idolatry, pornography, gluttony, anger, jealousy, flee from pride, disobedience, hatefulness, rotten attitudes, flee from sin. For someone in this room today, today is the day that you commit to breaking that cycle of sin in your life. And I pray today there are numerous people that make today the day that I'm committing that I'm no longer going to live in this cycle. I'm no longer just going to day after day just completely give give in and give in and give in and give in to sin and give in to sin and give in to sin. Maybe the cycle is... Many years and decades and maybe even generations long. Maybe the cycle you got from your mama and your daddy. Or that crazy uncle. Today is your day to break the cycle. Today is your day to break the cycle through the power that works in your life. That's the power of grace. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Try to do this on your own. Fail. Try to, try to fight sin in your own strength. Fail. It is through the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you say, Josh, you talked about that sanctification stage. And that sounds tough, but I've not even gotten to that first stage in my life. Christian life. In fact, I don't have a Christian life. I've never been justified. That was that first one that you said, the I have been saved. I have to be honest this morning, I haven't been. I've never had a time and place in my life where I acknowledged my sin before God. I repented of my sin, and I trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone. You know, God, I may have acknowledged my sin, but I was trusting in like Jesus, but also The fact that I was going to church some, and I was trusting in Jesus, but I was also trusting in the fact that I was I was raised kind of in this, and like I know I know the Bible stories, and I'm good. Or I I was trusting in Jesus, but I was also trusting in the fact that I'm I'm honestly I'm a really nice dude, and like I try to give money to people that need it, and like I I cover people's shifts at work when they need somebody to cover their shift, and I'm, I'm I'm honestly I'm like the nicest person at my job, certainly. I mean, God, if you look at me, my goods outweigh my bads. I mean, I got some bads, but I feel like my goods outweigh my bads. And you've trusted in a scale, goods, bads. You've trusted in good works over bad works. Can I say this morning, there is a better way. And can I just tell you, if you trust in your good works over your bad works, it's going to send you straight to hell. Just shooting straight. Justification. Jesus Christ alone. He wants to save you. He wants to save you. Believers, we're in that sanctification mode. That's tough. It's not easy. It's a process. By the way, the process doesn't end until we get to heaven. And we're glorified. You say, Josh, I understand it. But it seems like I'm still in the cycle. That's okay. Keep, just keep at it. Just stay in the process. Stay in the process of sanctification. Continue growing spiritually as a Christian. Just keep on. Because throughout that process, you will be freed from the power of sin in your life. Heavenly Father. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit KeystoneRDU.Church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.